Sports, Ethos New York Knicks podcast, fresh off an eight-game win streak, but the Knicks go down at home to Toronto, a team that I was a little concerned about. I don't care about their six-game losing streak. I definitely had my concerns about Toronto looking at them on the schedule. I think I mentioned in the last episode about someone on Twitter saying he looked at the schedule and, and saw the Knicks winning the next five games. And I was like, you just assuming they're going to beat the Bulls for a third time? You're just assuming they're going to beat Toronto because you're looking at their record like the Knicks are the 72 Lakers or something like that? I mean, anybody can lose. Okay? And the way Toronto plays is troublesome for the Knicks. The Knicks are a paint-scoring team. They don't shoot a high, high field goal percentage. They don't hit a lot of threes at a high field goal percentage. Toronto is a paint-defending team with a lot of long, strong defenders, versatile defenders, switch a lot of actions. You would think they would have a number of guys that would give a, a player like R.J. Barrett, who's not necessarily quick, spends a lot of time in the paint, you know, bullying guys. You would think he would have a hard time against Toronto just looking at it on paper, but he didn't. He had a very good game against Toronto, a very good game against OG, who was fouling him the whole game. By the way, we'll get into that later. RJ had an excellent game, and, and these are the type of games, and RJ has been playing well. These are the type of games with Barrett that make you, a little, as a Nick fan, you should be a little, feel a little bit better about his contract and him being a foundational piece for the team. We all know that he starts the season off slowly every single year. And I've said this before, just because it's a fact doesn't mean it's an excuse. I don't care that it's a fact that he starts every season off slow. I want to know why. And it's and starting the season off slow sometimes leaks into January. And now it gets early real late where you trash for two, three months in the NBA season. The whole season can fall apart, and that's what happened last year. It wasn't just on him, but that's what happened last year. Him starting off slow contributed to them falling off a cliff. They played better in the second half of the season, you know, but in the first half of the season, they struggled for a myriad of reasons, and him struggling was a big part of that. Not the only part, but a big part. So he really needs to get his offseason regimen down, get it more more NBA ready when the season starts. But He's been playing really well over the course of this streak. His numbers are really efficient. It doesn't seem that way. He was efficient last night against some really good defenders that you would think would match up against him well. So it was a it was a real good game for RJ Barrett, and you want to continue to see that. He doesn't he still doesn't kick the ball out as much as he should. He still doesn't swing the ball as much as he should. Uh, you, you definitely see him turning people down when he has the ball. You want to see a little bit less of that, but him being efficient in the paint, being efficient with his drives, hitting a higher percentage of his open shots, his open threes, that's a, a really good sign for the Knicks. A really, really good sign for them going forward. Not just this season, but going forward because you would assume that he's going to keep getting better. You're going to assume, and we talked about this in the preseason or early in the season, RJ's numbers for his career are kind of couched by the fact that he starts every year off slow. And he would have better second halves, but when you have a terrible first half, your numbers at the end of the season look 
terrible. So when people look at RJ's numbers, they see a, an inefficient player and they see a guy whose offense isn't sustainable for a good team. But when you dig into it and you say, well, if he just, if his second half numbers every year, if you just look at those numbers, and maybe I'll sit down and do that one day, that's a, that's a decent player. Like that's a, that's a nice NBA player making 20 something million dollars a year. That's what he does. So if he can play a little bit better defense, which you've seen, and rebound better, which you've seen over the over this uh, last couple of weeks, over these last couple of weeks in this win streak, that's that that should make you feel better about RJ Barrett if that's going to be his baseline. But he needs to make it his baseline. Essentially, he came into the season not ready to play. You really have to just put it that way. And RJ Barrett is a hard worker. He's not one of these lazy guys. He's not. He's really not. One of the reasons why, even though I never really liked his game early on, and I still don't love his game. I, I like it a lot more now because he's you know, he goes into the paint, he gets two feet in the paint, he doesn't try to flail at the rim every time, you know, jumping off one leg and just thinking he's going to elevate past people every single time. I had a nasty dunk on OG last night, by the way. Check the highlights. But, yeah, he gets into the paint, gets two feet in the paint, he gets some, some nice moves off, some good shots down. He's playing to his size and, and physical abilities as opposed to thinking he's going to outquick people all the time. And RJ's probably too heavy. He should prob- probably drop about 10 pounds. The trend in the league the last couple years, and especially on the Knicks, is to lose weight. You saw Mitchell come into this season heavy last year, and he thought that was a mistake. And now you've seen him lose weight and have an excellent Effect, excellent start to the season and a strong effect on the Knicks defense. And uh, he's really an invaluable player to the Knicks in their front court, statistically. Last year, he was very sluggish and coming up injury, very sluggish. Kind of a drag on the team, really. So seeing him lose weight, coming to the season in shape, I know he has some foul trouble issues early in the year. He gets banged up a lot. That's different than just being out of shape. Sometimes being out of shape can lead to injuries, but that's not what was going on with Mitchell. All right, and Randall, same thing. He had a terrible season. Thought he came into the season too heavy. So he lightened up. Same thing with Derrick Rose, who thought being lighter would help him. It's the trend on the team. It's the trend in the, in the league. It's a new trend that you're starting to see from a few guys where it's just better to be trimmer than to put on all this muscle thinking you're going to be better. You saw with Chris Paul, it changed his career around a few years ago. He switched to a vegan diet, got thin, and had one of the best years of his career at an advanced age for the NBA. So RJ needs to catch up to that. And I saw an interview, RJ talked about his contract status and how he couldn't really play basketball over the summer. He worked out, so he didn't really play basketball over the summer. It's not an excuse for Every other year, he started off slow, but that might have been an excuse for this one. Uh, I really think RJ needs to just shed about 10 pounds, and I think you're going to see if he can shoot the ball anywhere near the way he's been shooting the last couple of weeks. That's the player that you want. Like That's a, that's a foundation piece. He may not be a one or a two, but that's a guy you want on your team, a guy who can, to to an average degree, if not uh, an above-average great superstar degree, but to an average degree, put 20 points on the board for you. That'd be a factor. Somebody that your best perimeter defender, defender might have to guard. That's a, that's 
something that the Knicks desperately need him to be. If they're going to be good, considering that he was high draft pick for them and just got this big contract and Julius Randle is a perpetual question mark. Right? So they really need this version of R.J. Barrett. And you saw it last night. Give him credit, even though they lost the game. Another thing you give the Knicks credit for last night is coming back in that game. The Knicks have let go of the rope in situations like that where they didn't know where their offense was coming from. Uh, Julius Randle, again, his body language and energy levels are questionable. Not so much the last couple of weeks, but throughout his career, games like that is when he starts getting a little frustrated and you start to see a little bit less intensity from him. But he came out in the second half and he was like his hair was on fire. And that's what you want to see from this team. That's what you saw from the team in general. They ate up that 10-point deficit, and then Toronto built it back up because schematically, Toronto was giving the Knicks trouble. But energy-wise, effort-wise, they came back into that game. They got punched in the face again, and then they came back again down the stretch. And they missed their free throws, and they didn't make plays. Julius Randle with an air ball layup, slipped out of his hands. Uh, I'm not going to jump on him. Terrible plays. He's going to be joked about. I hope it doesn't get in his head because he has pretty good touch around the rim. So for a guy who has pretty good touch around the rim, he misses a layup like that. You know that's something that's going to happen maybe once his whole career. So it was unfortunate. It's sad. You're going to get you're going to get joked on. Get it out of your head. You know how sensitive Julius Randle can be. Get it out of your head. Keep it moving. But the way the Knicks came back in a game where Jalen Brunson played terribly. Terribly shot, like I think it was 3 or 14 from the field. And the way they came back and fought in that game, Siakam ate the Knicks up. This completely ate them up. Uh, Toronto spread the floor on them, got Mitchell out of the paint, and really put Siakam to work in, the, in, in there. I just, the way I saw it, I got to be honest. Toronto shot terribly from three. Just, just terrible. Maybe, maybe go to a zone. He was getting Trey Young calls all night. As soon as you put your hand on him, flail up in the air, get a whistle. The Knicks weren't getting that same whistle. That was annoying. But, yeah, I understand. Siakam lit everybody up. Sims got a pretty – it was a foul. Sims can be a little overly aggressive when he's guarding on the perimeter, but I believe Sims can, can give Siakam some trouble. He only had a couple possessions on him. Then he was out of the game. So if you weren't going to be able to stop Siakam, you should have gone to a zone or something. Toronto wasn't shooting the ball very well. Siakam was scoring a bunch of his points in the second half in the paint. Switch to a zone, you know, even if it's just for a couple possessions. Because Siakam was having so much success. And early in the fourth quarter, when Siakam came back in the game, they weren't even going to him. And it was part of the reason why the Knicks came back and got back in the game. Then then Leak was very Aggressive. He didn't shoot a good percentage, but he was very aggressive. It looked like him and IQ getting into a little bit. IQ had an excellent game yesterday. Then Bleak was killing the Knicks, snaking the pick and roll. A couple times you saw Julius Randle sag too far off of him. You saw Mitchell do the same thing. Those are brain farts defensively, stuff that you haven't seen from the Knicks in a while. Then, like I said, Van Vliet did not shoot a great percentage, but it was troublesome to see how easily he got into the teeth of the defense and got the shots he wanted. 
and that brings you to Quentin Grimes, who was injured in this game, didn't get a chance to play. And I talked about this before. The Knicks can't afford to lose IQ, McBride, and Grimes. Not to mention Brunson, Randall, the obvious people. But the reason why the Knicks are on this streak, for those of you who don't know, is because those three guys have not only played great primary defense when they, you know, as primary defenders, as help defenders, as hustle guys, but they have elevated the defense of the entire team. Players like Julius Randle have played more hustling, grind-out type defense, closing out a little bit more, contesting a little bit more. RJ, the same thing. Brunson has, has been trying all year. Toronto hunted Brunson last night, and they had some success doing that. Nick Nurse is a great coach. We haven't seen a lot of teams have a lot of success hunting Brunson. But that's a big team Toronto has. Everybody is towering over Brunson on that team, except for, except for Van Vliet. And they have to put a guy like IQ. They probably didn't, to be honest with you. IQ is likely the better, you know, obviously it's the obvious choice. You would have put Grimes or IQ on Van, on Van Vliet on the, on the ball. That's the obvious thing to do. But with all of the height on the court, maybe maybe not do that, especially when you saw they were hunting Brunson with the height advantage. Maybe give Brunson the, the matchup that's closer to his size and, it's not like Brunson just dies on every screen. He's just not as good at it as IQ is. So maybe that would have been a good adjustment to make. But Toronto is just a tough, tough matchup. Nick Nurse is, is, a, is a schematic guy. The Knicks offense is very, very basic. It's easy to scheme against, I think, when you have switchable defenders the way Toronto does. So in that in that context, I Give the Knicks credit for coming back in that game in the second half the way they did. Brunson wasn't playing well. RJ's playing against matchups where he's really at a disadvantage, you would think, offensively. Same thing with Randall. Randall went to the basket more in this game than you've ever seen Randall go to the basket. He drove off the dribble to the front of the rim more than you've seen him do in one game all year long. He was in that paint all night. I give them a lot of credit for the way they found ways to score against a, a very tough defensive team. And I understand Toronto's been struggling and all of that. But that doesn't mean anything when guys come to the garden. And it doesn't mean anything when you're playing a team that's a bad matchup for you. And they are a bad matchup for the Knicks. But back to Grimes, the Knicks can't afford to lose Grimes quickly and McBride's injury. They don't have any perimeter defenders on the team that can do what they do. So that's something the Knicks should be looking to get on this roster. They need a, a wing defender, a one to three wing defender who has the same abilities as those guys do. And there are some guys like that in the league. They may not be able to shoot the ball, but McBride isn't a great shooter. I think he's a better shooter than what you've seen, and we talked about that, but McBride isn't a great shooter. So if one of these guys gets hurt, you need somebody who can come in and defend. Because that's the identity of the team. We talked about identity, right? That's that's how this team wins. Their offense is fueled by their defense, as with most teams. Because they're not a high field goal percentage, three-point percentage shooting team. So they need to stop you. They need more opportunities to score. They're averaging 115 points per game right around there. They need more opportunities to score because they don't shoot a good percentage. 
That's why Mitchell's offensive rebounds are important as well. So they can't have you shooting a good percentage as an opponent because they're not shooting a good percentage on the other end. They have to get stops. And that's something that you didn't see last night. And, and getting stops is not just about the, the, the initial missed shot. It's also about getting the defensive rebound, which the Knicks did not get last night, especially down the stretch. You had Toronto getting three shots at the rim on certain possessions. You know, Some of it was buzzard luck. The Knicks were hustling around. The ball wasn't bouncing that way. That's going to happen some nights. It hasn't happened often in this win streak. Earlier in the year, they struggled closing out defensive possessions, getting long rebounds, giving up too many offensive boards. During the win streak, you have not seen that. The Knicks have been, I think, they're number one in defensive rebound percentage in the league during the win streak. But last night, Toronto got more than their share of turnovers and offensive rebounds. Right? So, quickly, Grimes, IQ, have elevated the defense and hustle for the entire team. Mitchell, too, by the way. For the entire team, losing one does not mean you lose your entire defensive philosophy or, or identity, but it will over time because their abilities are elite defensively. You can't make up for it. And you saw the Knicks gave up a ton of points last night after having a stretch of games where they didn't give up much more than 100 points. So and some of that was – and Toronto didn't even shoot all that well. They didn't even shoot all that well. So we know that was that was turnovers and offensive rebounds. We get it. Grimes gets some of those rebounds. McBride have a nose for the ball. They get those tough rebounds, those long rebounds. They get them on top of being good primary defenders. The Knicks need backup for one of those guys getting injured. Somebody who does the same thing. So they're looking on this trade market. They lost a second-round draft pick, whatever, for Jalen Brunson, whatever. Who cares? But trade a second-round draft pick for one of those guys who may not be a great guy, great player overall, or or bring up Jeffries from the G League, very good player down in the G League. You saw him in the Summer League. I think maybe I'm going to do some film work on him. I think maybe he might be able to defend on a similar level, at least at least as a backup to those guys. But they don't have anybody on the roster to do it. It's not, Cam Reddish is in the doggiest of dog houses. The doggiest of dog houses. He didn't play last night, and you knew right away that you will never see Cam Reddish step on this court again. <laughs> you knew it. Ain't no way he's playing if he didn't play last night. You know, Derek's going to play whenever Tom asked him to, so it wasn't a big deal to see, see Derek. Some people made it a big deal. Derek didn't get sat down for shade. Cam got sat down for shade. He got sat down for shade. It is clear that Tom Thibodeau does not want to play him at all since he didn't play last night. So there really aren't any – I mean, there's a lot of point guards on the team, but in terms of defenders, Quentin Grimes gets hurt, and now you're down to the 6-3 quickly guarding shooting guards and small forwards or Brunson guarding small forwards and shooting guards. Grimes is too important to this team, especially with Cam not playing at all. They need to bring in somebody to back up that position. They have to. Because you can you can honestly say that they lost that game because Grimes wasn't on the floor. But you also have to consider that IQ hit six threes last night. <laughs> so it's no shade to IQ. It's just that when you get to the second unit, now you're struggling. 
because you don't have that same defense. You don't have those rotations that give you a defensive advantage on that second unit. When you drop down that second unit and you come out with McBride, IQ, and Wimes, which I think is, is you want to keep those three guys on the floor at the same time. I think it gives you an incredible defensive advantage. You don't have that anymore. Now everything is staggered. They're playing guys who are inferior defenders. And you need that type of defense. You need that type of hustle, like I said, because you don't shoot the ball well. And you score off of those off of those rebounds. You going up against transition and secondary transition defense as opposed to a set defense every time because the other team keeps scoring. Rhymes has injury history. He's only been in the league for a year and a half, not even. And you've seen him have a ton of injuries. Buzzard luck, I'm not calling him injury prone or anything like that, but you know he's going to get banged up. Quickly, he's been pretty pretty much an Ironman, but you know that he's going to get banged up. You want to have a guy that you can put in and he can actually guard people. You need it. And I hope that they're looking at that in terms of you need that in general. That's like having a, a, a defender who can guard at least the two and the three. You need that regardless of who you are in this league. Regardless of who you are. And if you want your defense to be your identity, you have to have, they should probably have a guy who can guard the three and the four as well and can every now and then, depending on the matchup, guard the two. They, so they, they really need two guys. It doesn't have to be just a defensive player. You really want two big guys. But obviously, but you need some insurance there. This team needs some insurance there. They have enough assets to bring in a guy who's not expensive, you trading Cam Reddish anyway. Bring somebody back or just trade him for picks and then elevate Jeffries from the G League, hoping that he might be that guy or whatever the case may be. Because this can fall off the rails any day now if Grimes, McBride, or quickly get hurt. Because what's going to happen is these guys, they really have an inspiring effect on the weaker defensive players like Randall and, and uh, RJ. You bring in a guy who's not hustling, not making the same plays, and not slowing down the point of attack. Because that's really what this is about. It's about slowing down the point of attack. Because those three guys slow down the point of attack, all of the other rotations become easier. So when you have a guy who's not slowing it down, and everything comes broken, it gets broken down from jump street, all of the, all of the other defensive players who that's not their natural mode playing the game is hustling around the court. Now they have to run around a whole lot more than they would like to, and they, they will let go of that rope. And that's really the beef with Randall, right? He lets go of that rope a little bit too much. Sometimes he never has his hand on it. So when you have a defender, you have defenders that slow people down at the point of attack, it makes those rotations easier, and it makes them more fruitful because you have more time to get there. When that point of attack is collapsing quickly and everybody's coming downhill, you got to run around a whole lot more, and, and they don't all want to do it. I mean, that's just not a Nick thing. That's an NBA player thing. That's why guys like McBride and Quickly and Grimes are special. You need to bring somebody else in to give them a little relief they, or give yourself a little relief if those guys get injured. Give yourself a chance because – all the praise the Knicks have been getting the last two weeks, it'll be all it'll all be gone. You're already seeing people say, "Oh, you're back down to earth." 
You're gonna now you got you were playing above your heads. You're playing above your heads. Now you're back down to earth. You're already seeing that. You will continue to see that talk. And it'll be real easy if any of these injuries are long term or if any of these injuries actually slow the players down. They might be playing, but they can't they can't move the same way. You can easily, easily lose a bunch of these games because they don't make enough shots. Now, what I will say is that the culprits of the, the biggest culprits of the field goal percentage are RJ Barrett and Julius Randle. And Julius Randle has been playing better over the last few weeks. His numbers on the season is about 45% from the field, around 33% from three. If you remember Julius Randle was shooting like 17% from three for a couple days. So that's a big difference. So it, it still has room for improvement. So when you look at the Knicks field goal percentage, even over the last 10 games, it still wasn't that great during the win streak and when they, even the games that they lost where they played well because Jalen Brunson didn't play well for a couple of those games. So, so the guys that take the most shots, they're up and down in terms of field goal percentage, right? RJ's slow start is the biggest culprit for the numbers because it was a point in the season, and I don't think he's fallen off this pace. It was a point in the season where he was a 20th, 20th ring player in field goal attempts, and he was shooting a terrible percentage. So if RJ's going to shoot better the way he has the last few years, if Julius can continue to go into the basket, I think, see, a lot of this stuff, people look at it and they think it's skill. Some of it is skill. With RJ, it might be skill, right? With Julius, when it comes to his three-point shooting, it might be skill. But Julius should be in the paint more. He's one of the best paint scorers in the league. Not the best, obviously, but one of the best paint scorers in the league. When he's down there, he is a handful. He needs to be down there more. And if he's down there more, obviously the field goal percentages go up. And he'll get more free throws. And obviously you've got to knock him down, something they didn't do last night. So some of this is flipping a switch. And it'll improve the field goal percentage. But you can't can't do much about the three-point shooting. They are who they are, but their three-point shooting numbers was also a, a product of Jalen Brunson now shooting a great percentage from three. He was around 30% for a lot of the year. Now, now he's shooting, he's been shooting close to 50% over the last couple of weeks, shooting much better than I shoot well last night. They don't have enough slack. So the uptick in his shooting, even coming off that bad game, generally speaking, is a decent sign for the team going forward in terms of consistency, but they have to rely on their defense, and I think I made that point earlier. So with the relative up-and-down nature of some of their main scorers, they don't have margin for error to be reverting back to bad habits. They're going to lose a string of games if they start doing some of the nonsense they've been doing before. On the bright side, Grimes came back in in that game, that Golden State game, when he got hurt. So maybe he'll be better. So he's likely to play. You just don't want him to be hampered. Another positive sign, IQ shooting well, two straight games, even in the loss in Toronto, played very well. You saw him aggressive looking for his shot. That's a good sign because he's definitely started holstering that gun for most of the season. Whereas in his rookie year, even though he didn't shoot a great percentage, he was much more of a confident shooter. And you were confident. When he shot, he just had bad shot selection sometimes, but he was really quick at pulling that trigger. This year and a lot of last year, he wasn't. Last year, he did have a great game against Toronto, though. 
So you're hoping that's not just a blowout thing with the Golden State game and loving to play against Toronto thing. You want to see a little consistency because the Knicks go to a whole nother level if you see an efficiently shooting IQ in that second unit. A whole nother level. Because, and, and I'll say this, because I've been saying this since the preseason. He's better off the ball. He's better off the ball. He started last night's game off slow, and it was like, oh, okay, he's getting a little lost in the offense. But when IQ on the weak side, when that ball gets swung, guys got to close out on him hard, and he's good at attacking it. You know, he attacked it with the shot yesterday, pump fake, sidestep, shooting threes, beating you if you're slow to it. But he's better attacking closeouts on weak sides than he is on the ball. Get that man off the ball, and you will have more success with him offensively and you might have more success with McBride on the ball because he's better on the ball than he is off the ball and you've seen that from McBride all throughout all throughout his career with the Knicks and in the G League he's on the ball a ton in the summer league he was on the ball a ton when he's not on the ball he gets a little lost in the sauce because he's not necessarily a great spot-up shooter he's not he's not good at the things IQ is good at he's not a good at attacking closeouts and He's not, not aggressive, an aggressive offensive player, but he can be decent on the screens. He's a little shy. He's a little timid. Obviously, doesn't, you know, doesn't feel like his role on the team is to have the ball in his hands that much. I get it. But if you can unlock IQ, if you can, I think the more you have IQ on the ball, the less likely you're going to get these games out of him. So put McBride on the ball a little bit more in the second unit, especially with Rose out. But Put McBride on the ball. Put Grimes on the ball if he's going to be in the game still with the second unit on more screen and roll. You saw a lot of angle screen screen and roll from the Knicks last night too with Mitchell and Brunson. That pisses me off that you see so little of that. The Knicks like to do high screen and roll all the time, and it doesn't really get them at as much as you as most other teams. It just doesn't. The angle pick and roll I think is a, is a weapon. It's harder for teams to rotate hedge and recover. I, I think if you play that right, you get good shots almost every time. Uh, and Nick's starting to do that more. So that's a good thing. But in that second unit, put Grimes on some pick and rolls. I don't care where you do it. I don't care where you do it. Do it on the elbow. They've been doing it in the mid-range area. Put him on that pick and roll. Have IQ off the ball. You're going to get more offense that way. It was a real good sign to see IQ shooting the ball the way he did. Real good sign. So those are two positives going into this game. But mm, nervous times for Nick fans, if you ask me, because you don't want all that all that negativity creeping in. Seeing stories where the Knicks were interested in trading for OG, and the price was kind of high, but they were really interested in shaking up the team and bringing in a player like OG, one of the best defensive players in the league. One of the better two-way players in the league has some abilities on offense, but they calmed down when they started playing better. And I talked about this last show. I don't get it. If it was a good deal three weeks ago, why isn't it a good deal now? You can't be that. You can't be that flippant. You can't be that whimsical. You have to have better vision than that. So if you made the deal before, and some and some Christmas spirit came and said, you know, if you didn't make that deal, they were going to win eight in a row. What you going to do, start kicking rocks? Like, you got to know what you have. And that's frustrating to me about front offices in general. You got to know what you have. You got to say, listen, maybe 
you know, we should play this guy. Maybe we should play that guy. Let's try this lineup before we make some, some rash deal, before we fire the coach, before we do anything that we might regret. Let's make sure we, we've shot every bullet in the gun. You were ready to scrap the whole thing for OG. Like, listen, and I'm not no shade to OG. It'd be a great person to have on a team. But if now all of a sudden you win a bunch of games in a row, now you don't want to make any moves? Like, you can't, you, you got to be on more solid footing than that when it comes to your decisions. It cannot be that whimsical. The season can change the drop. Look at, look at Boston. Boston started the season with a historic start offensively and now they're falling off they're losing games left and right losing games left and right and you know what they might turn it around I'm no shade to Boston I think they have a good roster I think they're going to be perfectly fine at the end of the day but that's the point like things change over the course of the season you have to know what you have you have to know where you want to roll the dice like I you know what you have in Cam. I don't care what nobody says. You know what you have in Cam now. You just do. All right? He's got an opportunity to show what he can do and didn't do anything with it. You've got to be a pro in this league. It can't be all about you. You've got to figure out how to do it in the system that you're in. And if you can't do that, then you may not be the pro you think you are. Okay? There's plenty of guys around the league who come into the game for 10, 15 minutes, and everybody's like, whoa, where'd this guy come from? Look what this guy's doing. That wasn't Cam. But guys like McBride, you should have known that, hey, let's give McBride a chance. Grimes was going to be in rotation no matter what. Injuries would have him out. IQ, defensively, I'm not going to lie to you. I didn't know IQ was this good defensively. Maybe he wasn't two years ago or last year. I knew that you needed to give him minutes. I knew that much. All right? But at least take Cam off the floor. At least take Rose off the floor. Take Fournier off the floor. Take the guys off the floor who you know are not helping you win. And then see what you have before you start trading everybody under the sun away. Because you don't like the results. Like To me, that's just so crazy that they were going to trade these guys away without giving them significant minutes together. Crazy. Their draft, their, their late first round drafting has been excellent so far. But most of the world doesn't know it because those guys weren't on the floor playing. They're all the same types of player. Jericho Sims, Grimes, McBride, even IQ. They're all the same type of player. They're grinded out, instinctive defenders. Put those guys on the floor, see what they're going to do, and you've seen that. And you've seen it. So the fact that you were going to trade all those guys away a month or two into the season, a month and a half into the season, when they were barely, the only one who was really playing was quickly. It's nuts to me. It's nuts to me. Grimes was hurt. It's nuts to me. So the Knicks got this Bulls game coming up. A game the Knicks should win. A game they got to win. But beating the Bulls for a third straight time with all the turmoil the Bulls are going through, getting their, getting their butt whipped by the Knicks in that second game, getting beaten down the stretch in that first game, you got to imagine they want to come in the garden of all places because you know these guys love playing here and put on a show. So the Knicks should be concerned. They have to they have to actually beat the Bulls. It's not going to be the Bulls being lazy and not executing and all that kind of stuff. The Bulls are going to come here, and they're going to try their absolute best to win this game. The Knicks got to out-execute them, out-effort them, 
You hope Grimes is back. We discussed that. I think it's a, it's a big game for the Knicks because you don't want to lose two in a row and start all those narratives. Because you know everybody's, they can't wait to tear the Knicks down. And losing to the Bulls at the Garden, that's going to that's be a thing. So you want the team to be cognizant of that. You want them to come back and, and, and get back on the right side of the road here against the Bulls. Christmas is upon us. There's a storm coming. I hope everybody is safe. I still got a bunch of Christmas shopping to do. I don't know what I'm going to do about it. Maybe if you got some ideas, you can tweet me. Make sure you can. Maybe you can make some some bonus Christmas money on that. SportsEthos.com with all of their betting news and DFS plays. Go check it out. Follow at SportsEthos, at EthosNicks. Come join the conversation. Until next time.